We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, Sunshine. Welcome to a very special edition of the State of the Union podcast. I'm here alongside my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, joining us today. We are a year out from the Women's World Cup, which will be happening in the summer of 2023. You can see all the action right here on Fox, uh, we are excited about it. And what we wanted to do was kind of put together a show, a primer, if you will, a year out, celebrating what is to come. Now, a lot can happen in a year, Mossy, as you know, on and off the field. But uh, we said, let's talk about not just the U.S. Women's National Team, but what this World Cup is going to mean. And uh, are you excited about it, my friend? I'm very excited about it. I can see that you are excited about it. But what we also said is, you know, we we have certain knowledge, but we need an expert. We need somebody who's been <laughs> in the trenches. We need somebody who understands uh, not just the women's game, but the game from top to bottom. All right. Somebody that's, let's be honest, is much better than us. And we said, who can we get? Nobody wanted to come on the show, and so we said, let's get Allie Wagner instead. And so we welcome in Allie Wagner to the show, friend of the show. She's been on many, many times. Allie, thank you so much for coming on the State of the Union, this special State of the Union. I know you are down in Mexico right now doing your job as the U.S. Women's National Team continues to play games, but we want to look ahead. We want to look at what this is going to be. Um, as we know, this is going to be a World Cup for the first time from the women's perspective uh, being co-hosted by the great countries of Australia and New Zealand. We also know that this is going to be an expanded World Cup, which is going to give opportunities, individual and collective, to new teams for us to be introduced to. So there's a lot to be excited when it comes to the World Cup. In general, how important is the 2023 World Cup to women's soccer and to soccer in general? Well, well, first of all, I have to say thank you for recognizing that you did need to bring experts onto your show. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have just, you know, petered out um, before it even began. Having said that, um, you know, I, I think when you look at this World Cup, every World Cup has has built upon the previous one. And, and you're just seeing the, this inflection point in women's football in general and club football. And of course, now with with the investment into the international scene as well. I think when you look at 2023, prize money is better from FIFA, still not um, to the level that it needs to be. But 
I think this is going to be one of the most entertaining World Cups that that we will see in the women's game because it will be that competitive. Now, as you said, you have this expanded field. So we saw, you know, the U.S. run it up on Thailand in the last World Cup. There's going to be more of those games, just quite frankly, because you you have let in some teams that will be their first time on this stage. But you're also going to have more European teams in there. And and what you're seeing out of the Euros this year is the quality is there. So I think the expanded field is is massively important just for the investment um, in the game, but but also some of the teams that that are perhaps couldn't qualify before will be there and and make it a more interesting run in. Yeah, we've already seen uh, countries like Philippines, Vietnam, Zambia, Morocco qualify for the first time, so it'll be fun to have them there. If if one of those is on the receiving end of a blowout loss to the US, hopefully the US women will celebrate with a bit more class this time <laughs> around. <laughs> Get out of here. What do you mean? I mean, this is the World Cup. You're scoring goals. You better celebrate. I, I, I'm not buying that at all. You see it in the men's game all the time. Um, but I do want to ask, the, the U.S. women trying to become, this would be the first uh, country to win three straight World Cups on the men's or women's side. There's been so much talk in the last few years about the growth of the women's game in Europe at club level. We see these crazy attendance numbers, Barcelona, 90,000 people. And some people have interpreted from that that in Europe, they're actually catching up to or surpassing the United States in terms of women's soccer. I know Alex Morgan recently bristled at that and kind of reminded everybody we're still the two-time defending champs. Everybody hold their horses on that. How do you feel about that overall narrative? Do you think there's something to it or the U.S. women are are deserving of a bit more respect than they're getting? No, I think think it's accurate. I think the the investment in the game globally is is no doubt making that margin, you know, that perhaps the US women held over all the other countries shrink. And and that's a good thing. I mean, I think when we look at, you know, all boats rising, that is what's happening very quickly in the women's game. So I do think that that the United States is it was inevitable, right? We always we had the investment first. So we we're always ahead of of the rest of the world in that regard. And and now with the talent, and I would almost even say the cultural acceptance of girls getting into football, fathers being okay with that, has increased the, the, the level of play across the world in the global game. And, and women look at it as, this can be my profession. So there is that longevity that perhaps wasn't there before. And yeah, no doubt, that is that has increased the competition. I think the U.S. is still ahead if you look at it historically. And, and I always think that we'll have that advantage when we step out on the field, because no matter who you are, when you face the United States, there is that fear that the United States knows how to win and get it done. But the reality is at the club level, at the international level, they've made massive strides and it is not going to be a walk in the park for the U.S. We're not seeing that, um, you know, even in CONCACAF, where you could say the United States has, has kind of rolled through competition it's much tighter than it ever was in years before the games that, that I've been calling down here for Mexico in Mexico. I mean, the reality is that the teams are smarter. They're more organized. The players are playing at high levels. You have this, a player, for instance, Demonet from Haiti. She's playing over in the French league. And this is a 18 year old. And she could have been quite possibly the player of the tournament. Of course they didn't advance into the semis, but had they, she is the story of this tournament. And, and so you look at the ability for these players to evolve um, on the international stage, it's happening. And, and we'd be naive to think that, uh, that you know, we're not getting pushed from, from below. All right, Ali, we're going we're to talk much more about the, the U.S. team and kind of get into uh, a little bit of the nitty gritty uh, in some upcoming segments here. But 
big picture, again, going back, I mean, men's, women's, co-ed naked, doesn't matter. If somebody, someone's kicking a ball, I know you'll watch it. I know I'll watch it. We love it. I've had the privilege and the honor and the absolute pleasure to work multiple Women's World Cups. They are wonderful. Having said that, they are also opportunities, right, to bring people into the tent, not just the soccer tent, but the women's, uh, the women's soccer uh, tent, which is expanding. It's fun. Once you're in, you're in. Uh, I can tell you, but getting people in is is important. So how important as a platform is 2023, not just with the expanded teams, but with what women's soccer and what the World Cup is? If you had the ear to FIFA in terms of telling them, Ah. this is what you need to do for this to be successful, what would you say? I would first start with, with get it out there. I mean, when we rolled into France for the last World Cup, I landed in that airport and it was a very different experience than when I landed in Russia for the Men's World Cup 2018. One year apart and you barely knew there was a World Cup happening in France versus Russia where it was littered with signage. So I think if I, if I had FIFA's ear, Gianni's ear, I would say market it because once people know the game is happening, once they understand, I think what's at stake, they, as you said, Lex, will will be, you know, they will buy in to to this game because I think of all the games of all the sports in the world, men's and women's, I think that women's football, and we're talking team sports, women's football has the ability to compete in terms of entertainment and perhaps surpass the men's game and how it can grab a hold of, of the spirit. And, and the mind of the audience. So if I'm FIFA, I am selling that hard. I am getting people to understand that this is uh, the premier entertainment of the summer. And, and look, the, the talent out there is on par at this level, starting to be on par, I would say, not across the board, but with the men's game and, and what in terms of what these players can do on the pitch. I mean, it's something special when you see what a Sam Kerr can do uh, for, for Australia, when you can see a Vivian Miedema can do for Netherlands. And we haven't even gone into England, who is tearing it up in the Euros. Beth Mead, uh, you know, these players, Lauren Hemp, they, these players are outrageous. And, and if you miss it, you're missing, you're missing uh, half the game right now because it is something to behold. Amen. It is uh, something to behold. It's exciting. And you know, I think this applies not just to the Women's World Cup, but to women's soccer in general. And I think you would agree with me. It's it's not a charity. All right. And the more we realize that there is business behind it. And by the way, yeah. good business and growing business, the better off it's going to be. And to your point, uh, I hope that uh, the folks there in, uh, in Switzerland at uh, FIFA are listening to you because they have an opportunity there and they have a business opportunity there to not only grow the sport, but to grow the business on par with the men's team uh, moving forward. So we're excited about that. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Wait, we, oh, you, but you have a direct you have a direct line to FIFA. So, I mean, you're over there in Switzerland now. I'm relying on you to be the messenger. I'm here. I am your messenger. I'm in there. I'm banging on doors. I'm talking to people. I'm demanding. I'm demanding over there for uh, for you and all of us. Because, look, we do. We all, we all want to see it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to delve right into the U.S. women's national team, which is going through an incredible transition. It's fascinating to see both on and off the field what this team is becoming. But still, they are the number one team in the world. They are a team that we expect to win every single game. Myself, Mossy, and Allie are going to break it down for you in a second. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. And uh, with my friend David Mossy here and with uh, Allie Wagner. And we're breaking down the U.S. women's national team as it stands right now. And... Ali, as we know, it's it's gone through an incredible transition under Vlako Andonovsky, the uh, the head coach, and I got a lot of respect for him because 
you know, he's taken over a team, obviously, that's won two World Cups in a row. And I think he's come in and recognized that there needed to be a transition. Having said that, we're America, right? And when it comes to our women's team, we expect this team to win every single game. We expect us to have the best players. Uh, and we expect us to entertain on a consistent basis. And look, we have plenty of depth. We have plenty of talent. There have been plenty of changes when it comes to this team. If you are telling America out there or anybody out there why they should still believe in this U.S. team as it goes through the transition, what are you telling them? I'm telling them we have probably the most exciting wingers in the game right now. And that says a lot because, you know, I even mentioned Beth Mead, Lauren Hemp. Some of the players, Caroline from Brazil, you know, globally, we have Mallory Pugh, we have Sophia Smith, we have Trinity Rodman. Now, whether or not this is her World Cup to, to break out, that that will be a story to, to unfold as time does. But you have Alex Morgan in incredible form. I think our front three are, are some of the best in the world. And, and in terms of creativity, in terms of 1v1 potential, in terms of eliminating players, eliminating lines, I think they are explosive and dynamic. I think if you look at if Kat Macario recovers the way we all expect she will. She's had an ACL injury. She is one of the top players in the world before that injury. And it was a very quick ascension for her once she did become that staple with the U.S. Women's National Team. So I think when you look at some of the young talent across the world, the United States has a handful of it. And especially in those playmaking areas, those ones that, that are more dynamic. You look at the midfield, similar story. You have Ashley Sanchez coming through the ranks. You know, Rose Lavelle is probably, even though she hasn't had the strongest tournament in CONCACAF here, she's probably arguably the, the most important player to this U.S. women's national team and one of the most dynamic forces that we've seen in the game. You remember back in, in 2019 World Cup, her ability to, to break lines, run at that, the opposition, and, and score goals or set up her teammates is, is one of the, the best in the world. So I'm not worried on the attacking side. I think when the, the what what where I, my selling point to Vlatko will be is on the defensive side of things. Right now, he's got a partnership of Alana Cook and Becky Sauerbrunn. He strongly believes in that in the center back position. I argue that perhaps Naomi Gurma, another young, incredible talent rookie coming into San Diego, wave this year in the NWSL. I could argue that she should be in that starting back line alongside Cook. Um, and, and then you start to look at the spine of that United States team, and perhaps it gets younger, perhaps it gets a bit more solidified. And, and maybe the return of Julie Ertz holds, shores things up in that sixth spot, but that is the other question mark for the U.S. So I think attacking-wise, we're good. I think attacking-wise, we're going to cause the opposition a lot of problems. I do worry that um, perhaps we won't uh, make the right decisions in the spine a little bit deeper on the field. Uh, Ali, had Jill Ellis stayed on after winning two straight World Cups and she was the one orchestrating this transition, I think we'd all say, well, she has the gravitas to do it. Vodko has never won anything with the U.S. The jury is still way out on him. So it is quite the flex for him to be the one to cast aside these World Cup winners. How do you feel about the way he's done it, how he's approached it, how he's gone about it, different comments he's made about these veteran players? What do you make of this whole dynamic? Well, I, I would argue that that he should have done it sooner and that it was done too late for the Olympics. And, and I know that that the counter argument to that is it was COVID. It was a quick turnaround. You know, you really didn't have um, the time and, and ability to to get your team ready with a younger group. But the United States has been clear. The World Cup, as much as Lex, you know, you say we went we need to win everything. That is expectation. I agree with you. But the World Cup is is the ultimate goal for this U.S. women's national team. And in that regard, I think the Olympics could have suffered a bit. We suffered regardless. 
So it should have been used as a learning tool where you wouldn't now be in this CONCACAF tournament necessarily looking at it in the same way that we could have approached it for the Olympics. So I think, yeah, I think you're right in the in the sense that that Jill would have had that that longer leash to make the changes. Um, you know, every coach we've seen it, a men's women's game, coaches come in and they're afraid to make that transition from the players that won you a tournament, that won you medals, that won you trophies, and and push on, urge on that next generation. And and I think that that is actually the quandary and the challenge of Blocko. I think you know he's looked to Rapino, he's looked to, and this is he brings in Megan Rapino into qualifiers for her leadership, you know, first and foremost, but also the ability to manage the end of games. And what's funny to me is that she had only played what I think it was like 200 minutes or something coming into this CONCACAF qualifier. And we saw in this last game, she got subbed in late in the game um, against Costa Rica. And she had a turnover, a horrible turnover that the next level opposition would punish it was in the defensive third. She tried to square the ball across the pitch. It was picked off literally in the middle of the field, 10 yards out from the 18-yard box. And that could have been, you know, shoved down our throats, put in the back of the net. So it's a risky proposition to, I think, sometimes rely on on some of these players that haven't had quality minutes at the highest level. Maybe in the past we could have done that. Um, I, I don't know that you can necessarily do that now. And, and I'm not discounting what Rapino has done for, for this team, for this program, but I do think that choosing the right veterans to come along on that ride and what role is a massive, massive um, task ahead for Vlad Beninowski. So maybe Rapino's here, but maybe she isn't playing, right? And and maybe Becky Sauerbrunn starts to to hand over those reins to Naomi Gurma and show her the way so that she is prepared to start come, you know, World Cup 2023. Alex Morgan, on their hand, she's been fantastic, I think, performance-wise. So I don't think you can argue that. Um, I do think the public comments on press were were a bit precarious and and probably unexpected. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Blanco knows what lost him of the Olympics. I think there were a lot of learnings that came out of that. And and the reality is, he doesn't want to make the same mistake twice. When when you talk about the U.S. Women's National Team, I mean, there there's so much, for lack of a better word, baggage right? Uh, with all yeah. of the history. So you have this new generation coming in that says, hey, it's our time. And this is our platform. And we've seen what those previous generations have done. Many of them are our heroes. Um, but now we want it for ourselves. But they're also coming in at a time when the labor dispute has been settled, allegedly. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, <laughs> what we're hoping that it stays and, and that continues on. So there is a kind of a kumbaya type of moment. Have you seen any difference in the dynamic and the character and the behavior and I guess the, the overall personality of this new team? And you mentioned Becky Sabrin and Megan, Megan Rapino and um, Alyssa Nair and Kelly O'Hara. And, you know, there's still some usual suspects there, but there's going to yeah. be a lot of kind of new faces that are going to, you know, have the opportunity to star in this World Cup. Have you seen a different type of personality emerge from this group? I don't, I would be, I would not be fair to say that I can pinpoint what it is exactly. I don't think that, that they have figured out what that identity is. And, and I think there's challenges, you know, I think when you look at each generation of the U.S. Women's National Team way back when, you know, before even my time with Fowdy, with Mia Hamm, with Michelle Akers, that was just grit, grind, no reward. And, and play for your love of the game, right? And then you start to get my generation, start to blend into that. 
before, by the way, they didn't, you know, younger players coming in, no, they're going to stomp on you and you better earn your way in. They're not going to help you. They're not going to lift you up and, and give you roll out the red carpet for you to come join this national team movement. You know, it was tough to get into that group. So when our group came along, you know, you had to earn your way and still not a lot of media, not a lot of focus. 99, of course, shifted things, but that was a short-lived time period and and there wasn't social media. So I think through when you get to, you know, the downfall, if you will, through 2003, 2007, the U.S. Women's National Team fell off the radar. 2008, 11, you start climbing back on onto the scene. Social media largely changed that. And with that, the personality I think of the United States came back into the forefront, right? And these players, they loved the limelight, they loved the pressure, and and there was still reward, but only if, only if they were winning games and winning tournaments and captivating the hearts of the public. Now, as you said, Lex, we're at a time when the players, you know, they might not even be playing for the love of the game, and I don't want to doubt that, but but the financial reward is out there. And the motivations are incredibly different. And the, and what is pulling at their attention, not just their giving their love to their craft, but to be able to build their own brand. You have players coming out of college, me official, that's focused on, on building her own brand before she's even done anything at the club level or the international level. So I think what is, what is pulling at the focus of a lot of these players and, in, and as a result, these national team future icons is is not a diehard mentality to go out there and win it for the U.S. because they always know they have something else to fall back on. So I think that that the, this period of time is massive in terms of what the leadership of the group, these veterans that have been there before, that have struggled, can impart on this younger generation to make them hungry, make them understand what it is the USA mentality has always been and to embrace that. I think this is a massive time for, for those players to get that message across because it didn't happen at the Olympics. The, everyone was pulled in different ways. The chemistry wasn't there. They were exhausted. And, and it has to, they have to set the standard now. Otherwise, I fear that that tie that bound all the generations together will be lost. Oh I don't think oh my the goodness. personality oh is my there God. yet. I, I I hold on a second. Did, did, did Allie <laughs> just come on this show and call this generation soft? Did she just grumpy old woman there? No. I mean, I love it. From, from a grumpy old man to a grumpy old woman, Kudos, love it, love it. But, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and I see what you're saying. No, I'm not saying soft. I actually I think, think this soft. generation is going to, this generation is going to grab a hold of it and make a new identity. I just don't think it's been defined yet. And I think sometimes when you have such boisterous personalities in there, like a Megan Rapino from the previous generations, it actually holds back the younger generation from, from grabbing a hold of the team and making it their own. So I think that torch just has to be passed a bit quicker, if that makes sense. Got it. Got it. Ali, I'm going to put you on the spot. How much does the U.S. have to improve in the next 12 months to win this World Cup? Mm. If the World Cup was this summer, this U.S. team that you, you're watching in this CONCACAF championship, if I put it on the field right now against these top European sides, do you think they would win? No. No. I don't think they would win right now. And when you're looking at the disparity of the competition in the Euros versus the dis dis disparity in CONCACAF, and the friendlies that the United States have played leading into this tournament, it's not even close. And that's a massive disadvantage. So we don't even know what these younger players are capable of against top international talent. Um, they're not ready for it. They're not seasoned for it. And, and I don't think that, that this group goes in there and, and maybe makes it even past the quarters. But I think that I know that's a strong statement, but I think the growth that can occur over the next 12 months 
and especially within NWSL play is massive for this for this younger group. I, I do think again we have to get some positions right for for the U.S. team, but um, in terms of competing at the high speed at at uh, the intensity that you're seeing in the Euro competition, this this group isn't isn't there yet. Well, last last question before we go, uh, move on to another uh, segment here, and it has to do. I think you mentioned it uh, with the influence of NWSL. Um, by the way, if, uh, if 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 Ali thinks that in a year this team is going to be completely different, uh, I would I, I'm worried. Okay, <laughs> if that's the case, then I'm worried. But but I digress. NWSL, how important has it been? To- wait, 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 Lex, hold what? on, hold what? on. Why? Because. The, the margins are so thin now. I, I think everyone is expecting the U.S. to blow out competition. And if they don't, game over and lights out. No, the margins are so thin now. So when we're talking about they're not ready yet, I, I'm not saying that they're 50% capacity. I'm saying that they're about 80% and that that those tweaks are going to get them that last 20%. Oh, come on. Not getting out of the quarterfinals is 50% capacity for this U.S. women's national team. I mean, that's if they're not going to get out of the quarterfinals, then that has me worried a year out. Now, listen, they've been able to make up time quickly in the past, but it's not as if a whole group of players is already going to just dump into our lap here in the next year. And to your point, if it's about the competition that they're facing, through no fault of their own, it's just the realities of CONCACAF. I completely understand that. It's not as if that's going to completely change over the next year. Sure, there are going to be some games here. And I'm not saying that within a year, a player can't develop uh, and get and get better. But going from quarterfinals to winning a World Cup, that might be a, 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 a bridge too far. Then. Players will dump into your lap to a certain extent. You've got Crystal Dunn coming back from pregnancy. You're going to have Julie Ertz coming back from pregnancy if she so chooses. And you're going to have some players like Kat McCarty recovering from injury. So the group that we have here is not necessarily the group that Blanco is going to take to that World Cup. And those players aren't players that necessarily need to be seasoned at the international level. So I, I do think that a handful of players change the dynamic of this U.S. national team and change the dynamic of the depth that will be available to compete at the highest level. Ali, let me tell you something. Coming back from pregnancy is not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. All right, know. listen, I I, I, just, despite, uh, you know, uh, Mossy's pregnancy tales, um, I do, I do want to hear uh, your, your thoughts on NWSL because it has grown significantly. I mean, we've seen it certainly on the men's side in terms of creating an opportunity that's lifted all ships when it comes to CONCACAF, individual players and teams out there. Uh, but from a, a pure US, U.S. perspective, how important and fundamental has NWSL become? It's it's massive. I mean, I think when you look at some of these players that, that landed in the U.S. Women's National Team, it's because of their performance within the NWSL. Ashley Sanchez, for instance, is a young one that, that comes to mind. Mallory Pugh rediscovered her form in NWSL. That doesn't happen at the international level. Um, Sophia Smith, again, seasoned in in the play. And, and I think when you look at the NWSL, you can we can talk about all the global investment in the game, but the reality is this is still the most competitive women's football league in the world in terms of the transition, the intensity, the pace, the physicality. And and look, I know the game is not going to be always based upon that. I know there's a transition and there's always an evolution in football, but right now that is setting the standard and and how to compete um, within women's football. So I think it's massive for the U.S. to have those competitive environments um, week in and week out. You cannot say the same thing in the French league. You cannot say the same thing in the Spanish league. Yes, of course, they go to have UEFA competitions, but again, that's not a week in, week out situation. So when you look at what NWSL has done for the U.S. Women's National, I think it's actually 
uh, kept us competitive and in a time when there is more investment pouring in abroad. Having said that, Lex, I also think it's important for players like Lindsay Aran to go overseas, for, for some of these players to go experience a different style of game. So, you know, the blend will be important for the United States as much as just strictly relying on the NWSL for that evolution in individuals. And, uh, you know, to your point, uh, resting on our laurels will be uh, a problem when it comes to NWSL. It's a good problem to have. Competition is good. It uh, fuels the fire. And when you're NWSL and you have others competing around for resources and putting more and more resources around the world, in general, it's it's good. But there is a competition. Yeah. And if it wants to stay the best women's professional soccer league in the world, it has to continue to grow and continue to put in uh, resources because everyone else is coming. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Oh, yeah, we're going to talk uh, the uh, the biggest and the best competitors for this U.S. women's national team. I will give you my five, uh, and I think Allie has some thoughts on my five, uh, and maybe some thoughts of her own when it comes to her five as to who is going to be the biggest competition come that World Cup next summer in Australia and New Zealand. Don't go anywhere. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, welcome back to the State of the Union podcast, a special State of the Union podcast where we are looking into uh, the Women's World Cup. We are a year out, Mossy, from the Women's World Cup. Uh, Allie Wagner is joining us, uh, and she has throughout the show, and she's been wonderful in everything uh, that she said and all the information that she has given us. All right, Allie, how do I say this? When it comes to the U.S. women's national team, the reality is that there's only a handful of teams out there in the world that really pose problems. I'm not saying that the U.S. Women's National Team can't lose to insert your number 18, 19 team in the world. It can happen, things can happen. Rarely happens, but the reality is that still, right now, and it's starting to change and grow, there is still a handful of teams out there that give us problems that on the day, I think if you were go to go and bet and put your money, your good money down there, that the possibility of the U.S. team losing exists. So what I did is I went, and I got my top five picks, all right, for who I think is the biggest competition for the U.S. come the World Cup next uh, next summer. So please uh, feel free, after I've given you this list here, to agree and or disagree. All right. Uh, coming in at number five, I have uh, the Netherlands. You will remember that the U.S. Women's National Team defeated the Netherlands back in the uh, last World Cup, two, two to nothing. Uh, but they are always... An interesting team, as far as I'm concerned, in what they can do. They need a they need a good day. They certainly need a good day, as all teams do. But I got them at number five. Number four. Do I start disagreeing now? Yes. Or no. No. Wait. Wait before you five. you can give me your total okay. disagreement at the end. Number four. Uh, the Germans. All right. Uh, they uh, are leading their Group B in UEFA Women's Champion uh, Championship. They are they are looking very very good. And listen, like in the men's game, you know, if you count out the Germans, do it at your own peril. Okay, and they're in a similar boat to the U.S. Transition, a lot of young yep. players like Bull and Oberdorf. They do have Pop up there, who's kind of like their Alex Morgan, but 
a lot of young players as well. So. All right, number three for me uh, would be Canada. And I know this is, uh, Ali's going to disagree with this one, but I think that familiarity bring, breeds contempt. And while, you know, they, uh, from a U.S. perspective, we would look at them as a, you know, redheaded stepchild. Uh, and I can say that, I'm a redheaded step, uh, stepchild. Uh, I think that when it comes to playing the U.S., and we should say, Mossy, that we are recording this on July 18th, Monday. Uh, the U.S. is going to be facing Canada in a game today. By the time you are listening and watching this, that game will have already happened. Hopefully, we will have kicked their ass. However, it is a rivalry. I think that there is something special when it comes to the Canadian women's national team players when they face the U.S. and, you know, look at it as... The U.S. gets all the attention and everybody cares about the U.S. much more. So I'm going to put Canada in there. France, uh, we know that France still hasn't gotten to the top and they still got a little ways to go. But man, oh, man, when they put it together, uh, they can be very, very good. And then number one, and I'm, I think maybe, Ali, you would agree with me on this, uh, England. Uh, we saw England in the last World Cup. U.S. beat uh, England in the Women's World Cup 2019 semifinal. They have improved since then. Finally and have a proper coach. Got finally have Neville. a proper Finally have a proper coach, according to Mossy. So I got them at one. So Netherlands, Germany, Canada, France, and England. Where and how badly have I gotten this, and where am I wrong? <laughs> well, listen, you said it. There's only a handful of teams, but you kind of got it wrong. I mean, I'm going to go with Never put it past me. Never put it past me. I, I, I'm not worried about the Netherlands. I'm not. I just don't think they're good enough defensively. As good as Vivian, Vivian Miedema is, and she can punish you, of course, they have other talent on that squad. Um, but she's the one that scares me. Um, we saw this center-back partnership of, it was Cook and Sauerbrunn. They were they were torn apart by a young 18-year-old, Demone of Haiti. So as much as you were joking, like, you know, the 18 team in the world could potentially beat you on a wrong day, you know, Haiti gave us a, a handful of problems. They had a penalty that, that they didn't convert. They hit the post early on. So that game could have been a very different one had they converted in those chances. So, so look, I, I do think Vivian will be a problem for us, but I don't think defensively that, that the Netherlands is at all capable of handling our pace and power up top. So I don't put them in the top five. Okay. Um, I also don't put Canada in the top five, which I know, again, like you said, this could, this could come to back to bite me as the game is going to be tonight and they could they could, you know, get a result and we could not win our, our W championship against them. But I think they're an outside team looking in. Um, I, I just, I, they're, they're, they're that, they're the potential dark horse of the world cup, if you will. So I think, I think France, I, I'm with you on, they look incredibly, um, again, incredibly explosive, um, controlling tempo, the, the downfall for them is they just lost Katoto to an ACL. So does she recover in time? But I still think they have the depth uh, in that front line to fill that void, although she's a sp very special player. Um, so I think they are a definite contender. I think they're someone that that has always had a, a mental block against the U.S. And so that is perhaps the one thing that we have over them. But mm -hmm. at some point, that's going to wear out and these young players are going to be fearless. Um, I think England, as you said, yes, probably top contender. They could have taken a result against us in that World Cup. You think back to Steph Houghton missing that penalty, or not missing it, but saved by Lissonaire. Um, and and that momentum shifts to England, and they probably walk out of that match victorious, and it's a very different story for the United States. This young group is is really dynamic for for England. Um, but I, I think you're missing, I think you're missing Brazil. Masi, I'm gonna give you some love here. I mean, if you see, again, the competition matters, but if you see how well Brazil is playing right now in 
in Copa America Feminina, um, I think they are going to be a handful. The one argument against Brazil has always been that they haven't been organized, that they perhaps relied too much on Marta. Well, Marta's out injured. And Pia Sindhag has that team in a very, very simple system when they can understand, when they can execute from the defensive side of things. And you talk about some young, exciting talent. They've got a handful of it. Bia finally, I think, producing uh, performances that we've expected. Caroline, that she's a North Carolina Courage player, but she's she's been a bright. And of course, Adriana um, is, has been excellent in this tournament. So they have maybe one of the best left center backs in the world in Raffaele. Um, they're one that I would probably put in that top five to compete against the United States. And they're they don't suffer from inferiority complex. So the, the mental edge that the United States has against Brazil, I think, becomes null and void. Um, I think you also perhaps have forgotten Spain, even though, you know, they were ousted by Germany to nothing in the Euros. I, you know, if Pateas can recover. I remember how the difficult game that they handed the United States yep. in, in that last World Cup. And now, again, they're older, they're wiser, and and they you know they look like they're actually more dangerous. They're not always playing the the Barcelona the pass you know slow controlled tempo rhythm. They're they're playing more direct when they need to. They've got some people that are good on set pieces. Mapilion, her service has been fantastic. So I think um, you have to include Spain, and you've got to include Sweden. I, this is a group that that has that mental edge over the United States. You know, they got the result against them in the Olympics, and they've probably always been one of our most toughest um, competitors. I think when it comes down to knockout stage matches, so I, I would, I would, sorry, Canada, you take a seat. Um, sorry, Netherlands, you take a seat and slide either one of those three teams into those. No, two no, no, spots. no, not either one of those. This is, by the way, so we we asked Ali for five. <laughs> But Allie Wagner, as she is apt to do, right, she said, no, I'm going to give you six. I want five, all right? So Netherlands is out from my five, and Canada is out. I think you're going to put Sweden and Spain in the top five, which means that Brazil is out of your top five. Is, is that fair? I, I'm i going to put Brazil in. You, okay, then who's I'm, out? Then I'm going to slide Spain out. Spain out. Okay, that's fine. All right, that's uh, that's good. Masi, you're over here fuming. <laughs> no, I, I was going to bring up Sweden as the big omission. Third place in the last World Cup, silver medal at the Olympics, lost to Canada in the final. But yeah, Fridolina Rofo and Black Stinius. Uh, so yeah, you agree, Ali. That, that to me was the one that jumped out at me that Alexi didn't include in his five. Yeah, and, and, and Aslani. I mean, this is one of the best players in the world as well. And, and I just think when you look at how dynamic they are going forward, we saw it in the Olympics, but but... What do we, Lex, I can't believe you left them out of all people because what are they so incredibly good at? They're the best in the world at this. And we used to say maybe the United States was there, but right now, Sweden is number one, top of the world in what area? Set piece. There it is. How could you, of all people, leave them out? I know. That? I, I, mean, I feel shame. I feel shame. These lists are designed, <laughs> they're designed for debate. And I know, believe me, whenever <laughs> I do these, uh, people agree, people disagree. That's, uh, that's okay. But yes, if I had to. If I had to change one, I, I will say that, you know, the, the Canada one was a little romantic on my part, okay? <laughs> uh, and yes, if I had to change one of them, I would, of all the ones that you have talked about, I would definitely put Sweden in there. Um, Ali, okay. I, I, don't, I don't think this team belongs in the top five, but I'm just curious your take on them. Australia, 
Um, could home yeah. field advantage propel them to have a good tournament? We know they have a great player in Sam Kerr. By the way, I've never been to Australia or New Zealand. All my friends that have gone say it's lovely. I can't wait. The finals in Sydney, semifinals in Auckland. Uh, so looking forward to all of that. But uh, Australia playing at home, what do you think that could mean for them? It, by the way, Australia is so lovely. We actually played there. I played there twice with the U.S. national team, not in the 2000 Olympics, but before. Even when some of the stars, they actually went on strike. They brought a younger group of us along and that's where I got started to get my first taste of, um, you know, starting minutes with the U S women's national team. So I, I have a, a romantic place in my heart for it, but I think with Australia, I did consider them. So great question. I think when you look at the history of hosting, it hasn't voted well, 2015 world cup in Canada, they did not perform to the level. The pressure was too much. You look at what just happened in Mexico here and CONCACAF qualifiers did not perform under the scrutiny, did not live up to expectations. United States, 20, 2003, we didn't live up to expectations and that. So I almost wonder, France, 2019, the burden of hosting, is it, is it, is it too much? And so I haven't seen people perform well on at home in that stage. But I would say that Australia has an incredibly dynamic attack. Their problem has been defensively. Think back to even the friendlies, even though those aren't a fair representation of international competition when it counts, you know, it high scoring matches against Australia. And, and any day I take our offense uh, against their defense rather than, than their offense against our defense. So I, I don't think they have the defensive side of the game right now to, to go deep in that tournament, but they are coached and managed by someone that knows the U S well and Tony Gustafson. And, and I think that could bode well for them when he knows the personalities and, and the type of the play that the United States wants to have against them. But I still think the United States has the advantage. I don't think Australia, I think they'll knock out some contenders, but I don't think they'll go the distance. All right, we got one more final segment coming up, which is gonna be much more uh, big picture here. But to circle back around, uh, I need Ali Wagner, I need you to give me a definitive answer here, okay? Uh -oh. As we know, in 2023, in Australia and New Zealand, in the FIFA World Cup, which, by the way, you can see on Fox, all right, our U.S. women's national team that we've talked so much about already on this show is going for three World Cups in a row, something that has never been done, men's or women's, uh, and it is there. It is in reach. It is within our grasp. Yes or no, does the U.S. women's <laughs> national team in the summer of 2023 in the World Cup get that third World Cup in a row? Given what I know now, and where the team is at now, no. Okay. Don't hate me. Don't hate Nobody's me. I hating think it's you. all there. I Nobody's think the hating you. Hey, you've been there. doing this gig for long enough. You know, we, we say things, people agree, people disagree. Their parents scream at us, their girlfriends, their boyfriends, their mothers, their grandfathers, whatever. You know, they scream at you, they email you, they tweet you in front of and, in your and, face, and, and, and we are, back. And we are a year out, so you reserve yeah. the right to change this when we get closer to the Thank event. you. Thank you, Mosh. Oh, no, no, no. This is going to be, uh, what but, do they call it, the meme. We're going to put this thing up and make sure that this is, uh, this yeah, is out there. Great. Hey, listen, Thanks. one and thing that I do know. I come on your show. One <laughs> thing I do know when it comes to the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, they see and they read everything. And don't think for a second that they don't use it as motivation. I mean, we should be paid by the United States Soccer Federation sometimes for the motivation that we give individual players and teams uh, and teams out there. All right, you heard it from uh, from Ali. Uh, Mossy, do they win uh, next summer? Uh, I agree with Ali. I think they don't win. Um... I'm, I'm going for England. All jokes aside, by the way, Phil Neville is doing a very nice job with Inter Miami this season. But, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I do he like is. what's happening with England. Uh, all the players you mentioned, Lucy Bronze, 
uh, Lauren Hemp, uh, Fran Kirby, Beth Mead, Ellen White. I mean, they are loaded. Uh, just a, a program that just seems to be getting better and better. And and they've gone far the last couple of World Cups. So I think this is the moment for England to break. Through. How dare you? How dare both of you? <laughs> I mean, the I mean, where where is your where is your American spirit? Where's your patriotic spirit? Where where is where is your red, white, and blue? Yeah, I agree with you. They're, they're definitely not uh, winning the World <laughs> and, Cup. And next by year. the way, I, I do think, Ali, I appreciate it, but she's being a little too generous with Brazil. Um, I love Pia. I wish we had her in the mid-2000s when we actually had great players, but I don't know, somewhere along the line, Brazil lost the ability to produce elite women's players. I can't understand why. Debinha is really the last one. She turns 31 later this year. The players you mentioned, Adriana, Caroline, I like Angelina in the midfield. They're good players, but nobody that's going to realistically lead us to a World Cup. So I don't see it with Brazil. I think we're pseudo contenders stuck in that second tier. Hey, Allie? I don't know, Mossy. Come on, have some more faith in your homeland. I think they're they're more dynamic than you're giving them credit for. Allie, never underestimate David Mossy's ability to turn things back around and always bring it back <laughs> to Brazil. All right, that's the end of this segment. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to have some fun. I'm going to give you my top five players of all time when it comes to the women's game. Don't go anywhere. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. Uh, This special edition of the State of the Union podcast rolls on as we talk the Women's World Cup, which we are a year out from, and we thought what we do is, you know, give a, give a little bit more big picture, give a little bit more history, and go back, or current, doesn't really matter, and give you my top five women's players in history. And again, this is up for debate, and I can imagine that my good friend Ali and my good friend David Mossy are probably going to have some uh, differences when it comes to who I have. All right, coming in at number five, uh, Brigitte Prince. All right, the uh, wonderful player for uh, Germany, two-time FIFA World Cup champion, three-time Olympic bronze uh, medalist. Uh, I think that a lot of people would agree. Not everybody, and certainly, Ali, we've talked on this show about how social media and you know just the information age that we live in has brought players and teams to people's consciousness and. Sometimes people don't realize how good some of these players were in the past. I'm not saying necessarily that is the case when it comes to Prince. There's lots of people out there, I think, that would uh, that, that could, uh, could could argue that she could be included. So I have her at number five. Um, this one is Mossy. It's not for Mossy, but there is a, a romance to it. Marta will go down as one of the greatest players ever to play the game for the way that she played the game. And, you know, sometimes... Not sometimes. When we talk about Brazil, there's an expectation when a human soccer player from Brazil steps on the field. And it's not always easy to live up to, men's or women's, but when it came to Marta, she was not only this incredibly fierce, and she is still, by the way, this incredibly fierce competitor, but she brought the flair. She brought the beauty. She brought the Brazil 
And I think that that was so important, especially when, as you guys know, that inevitable contrast happens between men's and women's games and stuff like that. Well, you put on that uniform, you put on that, that yellow shirt, and there is a level of expectation. And more often than not, she has been able to bring it and dazzle us and amaze us and give us pure joy in the way that she uh, plays. All right, number three, uh, I don't think it's necessarily controversial, but I have Hope Solo, two-time FIFA World Cup uh, uh, World Cup champion, uh, gold glove uh, winner. And in my estimation, when she was considered the best goalkeeper in the world, she was also, in my estimation, the best player in the world. So I think sometimes we do a disservice to Hope by just saying that she was the best goalkeeper in the world, which she absolutely, absolutely was. But the way that she dominated that position and the influence that she had on her team uh, and the confidence that she gave her team, I think is unquestionable. So I have her at uh, at three, and you can fight me on that one. She'd probably fight me on that one. No, she wouldn't. She'd be very happy that I said that. All right, number two, it continues my Canadian theme for the day. Uh, Christine Sinclair, uh, just an absolute legend and a goal-scoring legend. Had she played for maybe a different team, we might look at her differently, and still that she has able, been able to cut through all of the clutter and all of the noise and all of the, uh, I guess, poo-pooing uh, from playing for Canada uh, is wonderful. And she is not only an icon, but she is a Canadian national treasure in terms of how influential she has been. And not just the level of success, but the consistency of success. And then at number one, the OG, okay, Mia Hamm. And listen, I know that there are American players that have come along and look, I didn't have to put an American player at number one, but there are American players that would come along that are up for debate when it comes to not just this list, but even that number one, when you go like your Abby Wambachs and your Carly Lloyds and, and others out there. But Mia Hamm fundamentally changed the way the game is viewed, not just in my country, but around the world. And in this day and age, uh, Ali, you mentioned it early on in the show about the concentration from players on their brand and building their brand, okay? This was one of the first sports brands that really came on the scene. Obviously, it came back after Jordan, but back when we didn't necessarily even call it brands or brand building, Mia Hamm as a brand, talk about cutting through the clutter, all right? She wasn't just an icon from a soccer perspective. She was a athletic perspective. It cut through everything. When you thought about sports, and obviously, when you thought about soccer, you thought about Mia Hamm. And that was so important. It Had she been living in today's age, I mean, the, the opportunities and the platforms and the vehicles and the mechanisms that exist today, and yet she was doing it and having, I would argue, not just the same impact, but even more impact. And she was doing it back then when a lot of that stuff didn't exist. All right. That is my five. Have at it, Allie. Okay. Well, first, I, I got to ask a question, which uh, you're, you're spot on with Mia in terms of how she changed the way we saw the women's game. But a lot of that had to do with her look. And and how fair is that? Or how unfair is that? When you think about, I mean, my argument would be Michelle Akers. I slide Michelle Akers into that number one spot um, 24-7, 365, rest of my life. Um, you know, and, and, you know, was Michelle Akers' look, was Tiffany Milbert's look not good enough for her, for them to be the ones that became those global brands? In women's football, when you thought about you know the the athleticism and and the power of the strength, you know, so I think there's an element there that 
that is that is a reality. And Mia was by an incredibly talented player. So don't get me wrong. I would put her up there in that list. But but the the how, fact well, that hold she on became a second. how dare you? Alan? This is the second time I've how dared you on this show here. How dare? <laughs> so you're saying the only reason that I'm picking Mia Hamm is the way she looks? No, no, I'm not saying you're saying that. But it, you're you're referencing that she's up there because she changed the way that we saw women's sports. Not you're. And you're spot on with all of it. So I, I'm not I'm not being critical of that. Yeah, but assessment. Michelle Akers didn't change the way that we thought about women's sports. I right. And I'm saying it's because of the brands picking someone that had the look. And that is how women's sports kind of shifted our mentality, which I think all of us would say is is real, but maybe not the the world that we want reflected always. So I think there's that piece to to how we got to this place that we are now at, where everyone can control their own brand, control control their own narrative, that a lot of those players didn't have. Michelle Akers, Tiffany Milbert, they just didn't have that opportunity because brands weren't, quite frankly, they weren't putting them on the cover. You know, so I'm not being critical of your pick because of that, because I think you're spot on and me, it transformed the way we saw women's football or women's sports. But, you know, I don't necessarily know that, that it was fair to the other players that perhaps that should have been given that that pedestal and and that opportunity. So that's all I'm saying in that way. It wasn't um, fair. So I, put Mich- I mean, come on. Hold on. Hold on. By the way, um, if there is anybody out there that recognizes the value <laughs> of the way that you look and how it can impact perception, believe me, you're talking to someone right here. So I I get that. I get that there is a package. I get that aesthetics. I get that optics are are important in terms of the way that we judge things. Well, you know what? Soccer isn't fair and life isn't fair, Ali Wagner. It's just the way that it the way that it goes. So I understand, I understand what you're saying, but I still would argue that Mia Hamm, regardless of what she looked like, uh, that added to the the package, if you will. I know that's not not the greatest word to use, but that added to the way that people look at Mia Hamm. <laughs> and I don't talking. think that no, and I don't think that that's wrong. It is worth no, noting. I agree. The, the late Tony DeChico, who we worked with. Yep. He was always bullish that Michelle Akers was the greatest U.S. women's player. Yeah. And, and that board does say best. It doesn't say biggest or most important. So, Thank uh, you. Not... That, is, that is what I, I well, So now, to now you get to define that. what best is for yes. me? Yes. No, you don't. I do. I get to define what best is. By the way, I, I do agree that your good looks helped you become as popular as you Good looks? Before. I mean, well, I mean, never, never has so much been done with a, a, a modicum of talent and romance? a uh, scrunchie and a guitar. <laughs> okay, but let's let, let let's let's go down that list a little bit okay. and other players that potentially should should or should not be there. I like the inclusion, of course, Marta Dunn. I don't know that I would have put Birgit Prinz in there. I, I actually think I would have skewed toward Tamari Sawa of Japan. Okay. You know, when you I, I did consider did you win titles? Tamari Sawa did it and and did it like against all odds, right? And the goals that she scored winning winning the ball in the air and, and finding the back of the net with her head, like in the unlikeliest of manners. But this was a player that that commanded the field when she was out there the same way that I envisioned Michelle Akers, the way that she did um, yeah, playing but, with her but, and, and watching but her. But Sal, is, it, was, it was the way that she looked, though. I mean, she benefited <laughs> from the way she looked. Oh, my gosh. You're missing the point. You were talking about transcend. You're, you're talking about Mia Hamm and how she transformed the game. But my point is, players transform the game in the way they play. She just happened to be picked by the brands, and that is why she did it. And so I am arguing best women's soccer players, Michelle Akers, slides in there above Mia Hamm for me in terms of performance, 
and and how they single-handedly could change a game because I was going to ask that question. What is best women's soccer player? Is it a player that you know can go out there and win the game by herself? Is it, a, is it a player that on any team changes a team? How do you define what is the best women's soccer player? Is it a player that wins I'm not you, defining wins for you. Title? You get to define it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Whatever fine. you want. Well, I'm stick- <laughs> That's why I'm sticking with Michelle Akers. Right. I'm throwing Sawa in there. Um, and I think other than that, who's your third pick? I can't see Marta, from here. Marta, Hope, uh, Marta Hope Solo and Christine oh, yeah. Sinclair. I, Solo, I'm I'm very impressed that you oh, picked her. I'm okay. I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that in terms of a player that can change the results of a game single-handedly. So that's how I'm defining it. Okay. But let me ask you about hope because you know there's always this eternal question of how do you contextualize the value of a goalkeeper versus an outfield player? Is it different on the women's game? Because if we were doing a top five men's players of all time, I don't think either of you would even consider a goalkeeper on that list. But it seems like on the women's side having a goalkeeper like Hope, there, there's added value there? Am I reading into that too much? Or No, I, I think that's a really good question. I, I think the when we talk about the men's game, has there been a goalkeeper that has impacted exactly. the result of a game as much as Hope Solo did for the U.S. team? I can't think of one, and that doesn't mean I'm, that doesn't mean I'm right, but there isn't one that comes to my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's that's the exact question to ask, and there isn't one that comes to mind. I mean, look, you can you can talk about Neuer and and how he fundamentally changed the way the position is played, and certainly he would get points for that. But to your point, I don't think if we did this in the men's game that a goalkeeper would come into the uh, the top five. I don't think so. I don't know. Well, do you had anybody there uh, that you uh, that you think we missed out on? Well, I was gonna bring bring up Sawa and Soon Wen. How do you feel about her? Allie. Oh, I actually did sadly forget about her, um, but I, I still would do Sawa over someone. And, and I, but I, I would, we, I feel like we're missing besides Sinclair. I do think that there is going to be players out of this generation that, that perhaps we're not playing heed to. I brought in Kelly Smith. I think she was another one yep. that, that could be in this, this context, but they never won anything. You know, Vivian Miedema does come to mind. Again, she's we're we're judging so many of these players on a full body of work because even though Sinclair is active, you know, she's on the tail end. She's sunsetting in their into her career. And so it's not necessarily a fair representation of some of these players. Like Vivian Miedema might be up there. They've won a Euros. They, she got her team to the final against the US. And by the end of her career, we might be we might be talking about her in the same light. So hard to do when we don't have a full body of work. But interestingly enough that you didn't put, um, I expected Wambach, I expected at least, I expected Wambach or Aloy from both of you. Oh, she'll, 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 <laughs> she'll call me. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, they see everything. Ali, yeah. I'm not saying she belongs on this list, but I'm curious about Ada Hegerberg, her legacy as a player, everything she's done at club level, but then this long hiatus from the international scene. So how do you sort of contextualize her career? Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to perhaps be a story of of club excellence and international failure. Sadly, because if you look at what what has happened with Norway since her return, they they're they were disastrous um, in their game against England. Defensively, not good enough. So this is not a team that I see making a splash come World Cup time. And with her ACL injury coming back, she just doesn't look to be the same player that that we saw before, um, you know, it's sad because I think if you go back to 2019 and you insert Otto Hagerberg into that Norway side, I think they could have, they could have even gone further in that tournament, perhaps gone all the way and been into that final against the U S but 
Um, I, I do think her, the way, some of the way we talk about uh, Mia Hamm and how transcended the sport, um, left indelible marks, the way we'll, we'll talk about Rapino in that same regard outside the activations outside of the sport. Ada Hegerberg will always be regarded in that conversation. Remember when she got the first Ballon d'Or and, and it was again about something about how she looked and, and came on the stage and, and it was an unfortunate moment, I think in, in, in history of football that she had to live through that, but the, the way that she addressed it and, and I think brought attention to, to the game outside of the lines, if you will, will always have a big mark in, in the history of women's football, but I don't think um, she comes to mind in terms of best player in, in the history of the game yet. Allie Wagner, uh, we're going we're gonna to finish this up here, but before we go, I want to ask you a question because you know I have had uh, the incredible uh, honor of working alongside you for a number of years and seeing the amount of work that you do and the quality of work uh, that you do. So my question to you is this. A lot of times on the State of the Union, we will talk about American soccer and this this organism that it is, right? And this ever-changing organism that uh, that goes left, right, up, down, all over the place and is growing and is evolving and can bring me to tears and it can bring me to scream and yell uh, in good and bad ways out there. If you were to look at American soccer, and I don't even want you to concentrate on women's soccer in the US, but just American soccer, because you've been around now for a while and you've seen it. What are... What's the best part about American soccer? And what's the worst part about American soccer? Oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, best part about American soccer is, I think, the intensity and, and the confidence and the, the mentality and the never, the never say die, uh, the belief in oneself, the belief that, that all is possible. I think that is that is the best part of American football for men's and women's, and I think you're seeing it in the the men's side. You've saw, of course, in your generation, you guys. I think you know the inferiority complex wasn't really a thing, right? You were going to go out there and knock off giants, and I think in this young generation, I think that they're they they have that swagger that perhaps they've developed from or grabbed a hold of from some of the international club experiences that they've had, but. I think that is the tie that binds um, throughout the men's and women's program. I, I think when when you look at you know adaptability, I don't know that I would rank that up there. But the worst part of of American soccer, I would say potentially um, holding on to the past too long and and not maybe it maybe goes to that adaptability. Maybe it is the transition and the the uh, the ability, the the willingness to change and to change quickly and to evolve with times and to to move on from from past experiences, positive or negative. You know, I think holding on to perhaps the ghosts, the demons, and and maybe the the um, the icons has been one of our our biggest downfalls. Answer, good answer, Masi. Anything before we go? No, no, I, I couldn't be more excited for this Women's World Cup. We're a year away, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and uh, very excited about it. I'm glad we got to do this to kind of get us all in that sort of headspace, and we have a year to keep uh, marinating all our thoughts about this tournament. Well, I mean, the interesting thing from a, a World Cup perspective is that, and I say World Cup 
uh, both men's and women's, is obviously with the World Cup happening in November and December this year, the Women's World Cup is going to come upon us very, very quickly, six months, uh, six months later. So from our perspective over here at Fox, this is going to be a hell of a year, and it's going to go very, very quickly. Like we said, I cannot wait, whether it's for November and December in Qatar, and then next summer, as we mentioned, uh, with the Women's World Cup 2023 being co-hosted for the first time with Australia and New Zealand. Ali Wagner, we love you. All right. We miss you. Be safe. Come home safe. Our country needs you. We need you. Thank you so much for appearing on this special edition. Any parting words to your faithful out there? Oh, you know what? Keep the faith. Even though I said, no, they can't win it. There's always the faith and the belief. Like I just mentioned, the best of you is soccer. They can win it. So let's let's rally behind them. How about that? And and go watch football. Tell your friends to watch football because you can consume more than ever. But watch this U.S. Women's National Team compete in the World Cup. It is going to be a delightful experience. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, Ali. Uh, for Ali Wagner, for uh, what's your name again? David Mossy. Uh, I am Alexi Lalas. Thank you so much for joining us here on this special State of the Union podcast. Uh, I look forward because in a year, as I mentioned, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup is coming and it's coming here to Fox. And we wanted to get a lay of the land and we wanted to do it in a you know, elongated type of uh, episode here and give you guys uh, an idea of what's happening on and off the field, both from the U.S. women's perspective uh, and overall this tournament that is going to be expanded and is going to be absolutely incredible. We cannot wait. All right. Until next time. And as always, size the day. Yeah.